nostalgia. (laughs) (laughs) That feeling, that different time, that past where maybe things were better or maybe things were not. It's homesickness, not for a place, but for time or for a place in time. It's kind of a bittersweet feeling. Going through my parents' basement and pulling out my little Fisher-Price cassette player. Evil. (laughs) It has evil connected to it. We can't be too nostalgic. When he passed, he left me some records. Take your nostalgia in small doses. Super useful. Also potentially dangerous. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode six of The Medium, The Message, The Medium's lovely in-house podcast. Today, I'm joined by some wonderful guests who will introduce themselves shortly. But before we do that, I just wanted to talk about what today's episode is about and where, why we're here and why we're talking about nostalgia and a couple other really interesting things. On November 10th, we had our magazine launch party. The Medium publishes two magazines each year. Um, The magazines are comprised of writing by the editorial team for the first one and then some phenomenal uh, writers for the second one. So keep an eye out for um, a call for writers super soon for our second magazine. Um, our first magazine was, I do want to say what the name was. Out with the old. Yes. So I know I'm telling you what to do, but pause the episode and think about what out with the old looks like, looks like to you and means to you. And so our magazine is out on stands. Make sure you grab a copy and the stories. I do want to talk briefly about kind of sure. what they can expect to read in the beautifully designed pages of our magazine. Our design editor, Manjot, guys. You should look out for the designs. So we want you to be aware that there are going to be some super emotional stories about family members that are no longer with us. Um, You're going to see a couple different photo essays that are highlighting different mediums that were used in the past that we don't typically use anymore. Um, we're going to look at conventional ways of, of going to work that are not super implemented anymore and essentially just look at what brought us to where we are today because we can't move forward and change the future without understanding the past. But it's going to be great, super, super sweet stories, super um, intelligent stories, and you get to know a little bit more about the editorial team. Yeah, on that note, I just wanted to say I'm super proud of... Um the team for all the work. We've been working on this magazine since the start of August, so it feels wonderful to have the copies in our um, hands. And again, thank you to Manjot for all her design work. She really, really, really blows us away every single issue and every single magazine. With that in mind, today's podcast episode will not really talk about the magazine any further, but we wanted to talk about the central theme of the mag, which is this idea of Um, acknowledging the past, um, nostalgia, of um, thinking back as to who we are now and why a lot of that comes from the people and the things and the items and the memories that have come before. And so joining us today, I'd like Juliana to introduce our guest because she is one of your professors, so I feel like that is only appropriate. But 
on that note, Juliana, our senior copy editor, is here with us today. Yes. Um, I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Kate Madalena here. Um, she's one of the best professors in the PwC department. I love every single one of her classes. So <laughs> anybody taking a WRI course, look out for her. They're always the best. Um, and with that, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Wow, that was awesome. I was raising the roof while she was <laughs> saying that my class was... I'm delighted to be here and honored. And I love this topic, like I've already been thinking as you were talking about how much I could nerd out about nostalgia. Um, just sitting here is making me feel nostalgic because I used to be a, a DJ when I was in university at our, oh, wow. our college radio station, and this this whole studio makes me feel that way. Um, I'm Kate Madalena. I'm a media theory scholar and a um, writing instructor, writing teacher, um, and my expertise is in like science communication and especially how media contribute to making knowledge in the sciences and stuff. That's what I research. Cool. So since you're so giddy, give us <laughs> yeah. some opening thoughts about this theme of nostalgia, either on a personal front or on a research front, whatever comes to mind right off the top of your head. Man, there's too many places that I could start. It's, it makes sense that we're doing the episode now because it's autumn. And I feel like for me anyway, autumn is like the time when I have it the worst, and I say have it the worst because it's a sickness, like like it might be a neologism that the poet or poets um, Homer came up with in Greek, and it's nost, that's us and home, and alga sickness, so it's literally homesickness, but it's homesickness not for a place, but for time, or for a place in time. And it helps us think about ourselves and as a whole, like, I, I need my nostalgia. I kind of lean into it when I feel it in the autumn. Um, but I also think that like it is important to think of it as a sickness, like something you don't want to go too far into because it has evil. <laughs> it has evil connected <laughs> to it. We can't be too nostalgic. So your intro was so compelling to me because you're talking about looking at the past as a way to make sure that we're thinking about the future. So the balance of those things. Um, I think in my piece, I reflected on the passing of my grandfather and so did Juliana very briefly. But um, I think thinking about family, for, like when I think of nostalgia, I think of my own childhood memories and that might be selfish in some way. But I think of my own personal nostalgia and how that's, um, you know, kind of part of what I think about and how I do things in my life. And sometimes I find myself chasing those emotions and those experiences again like why do we still dress up for Halloween you know at our age or why do we um still practice family traditions that we remember from our childhood that might be a little outdated at our big age but it's like those things where you are sick for that feeling that different time that past where maybe things were better or maybe things were not um and so I don't know it's it's kind of a bittersweet feeling and out with the old I think a lot of the team found it difficult when they were writing um, or at least challenging to reflect on the positives of out with the old like I think when we first got our pitches a lot of it was quite negative and it was quite like screw all of that you know I'm done with it I'm gonna write about it one last time and then move on um, but I think in the process of writing we all learned something super important about the quote old and how that has made us who we are. Um, but yeah, any notes on that, guys? 
Not really. I mean, I, I think the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, my piece is about music and how I consume music um, and my shift back to vinyl mm-hmm. and how that kind of, it's funny, especially to my parents, because like my dad's like watching me buy these records and going like, I had these. Why are you buying them now? I should have saved them. And so it's like a really introspective piece on like, you know, how are like what we think is old and like outdated and is coming back is like, you know, the stuff that my dad was listening to or, um, you know, things of the past are now the future and it's kind of this like really weird mix um I do talk about my grandfather a bit as well because um when he passed he left me some records um that not my style but they still sit with you know the Taylor Swift and the (laughs) the Paramore on my shelf but no I think it was a really great exercise in reflection like writing for this magazine um because you don't especially like being busy with school and all that you don't tend to think back so, I mean, when I was going through my parents' basement and pulling out my little Fisher-Price cassette player to go look at it and write about it, it was just that, you're right, it was like that homesickness. It's like, oh, I, I should go find a cassette and play this. Vinyl records are an awesome example, I think, of a way that we can use nostalgia to face a future because I, I think vinyl is actually um, one of the archive media that we should keep um, moving forward because they're analog media that don't necessarily... Um, respond to digital decay so and also there's we're listening to I get really dorky about this when we listen to vinyl we're listening to the whole sound wave we're listening to an analog sound wave recreated in in space Um, so we're, we're listening to the we're listening to something closer to the original recording than we are when we're listening to a digital uh recording so uh, hooray for vinyl. Wish I'd gotten that quote for my piece, but yeah. <laughs> no. Ju- Juliana and I just saw uh, Kelly Clarkson is releasing. What is she releasing? She's called it a flexi. It's like those mini like vinyls that like nobody like they're tiny. It's, yeah, they're it's like, like, like what are you Yeah, those used to those used to be like we had those at the radio station because they used to be the sample like mm-hmm, sam- the free sample, sample kind of thing. Yeah, cheap. But yeah, I don't know disposable. of anyone that has a player. No, that, and the yeah. ad was like, here I'm releasing a cassette. And a flexi and a CD. And it's just like, I mean... What are these things? Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I grew up listening to cassette play. Like, I had a little radio and I, like, ran around grabbing my parents' cassettes and playing them. But I feel like my, my, my brother, he's eight years younger. You show him a cassette and he goes, what's that? Yeah. Um, like, there's such a weird divide in such a short period of time. That was... The cassette tape was our, um, our way of saying... Because mixtapes... How do you guys pass around mixes? Because mixtapes, cassette playlists. tapes. Okay, Spotify play- playlists. And here's another question. Can you make art for your Spotify playlist? Yes. yes. Okay, yeah. good. You can upload good. cover art, yeah. Yeah, because we made paper cover art for our cassette tapes, and those were our friendship and also crush yeah, of um, course. expressions. <laughs> so that's still, that's remediated. That's yeah. excellent. Um, speaking of mediums of our childhood, um, I want I get to ask this question because she did a little bit of digging on your research, as one does when one prepares for a wonderful interview. 100%. So I did do a little bit of digging, and I know that you wrote on Legos. So a couple of questions on that. What pushed you to write <laughs> about Legos? And how do you feel that Legos are kind of like this nostalgic element in a lot of children's lives? How would you say the themes of the boxes and of like the children would buy? How have they changed over time? Oh man, <laughs> Lego, Lego is Lego has it all. Like they are so able to use everything at their disposal to sell <laughs> Lego. And on the one hand, when they came on the scene in 
in the U.S. and um, in like the 60s, 1963, they were the toy of the future. And they even, they feel that way because it, circa 1963, um, the first available set here is a moon or a rocket set. And it's right around the time of, of the moon launch. Um, and they're plastic, so they feel futuristic at that time. Like, put yourselves in that time. They feel entirely futuristic. Um, but very quickly... Um, in the 80s, and definitely when they had their renaissance um, right around the turn of the century and the millennium, they become a nostalgia for the futuristic toy. Like, like they're old, but they're also still futuristic. Um, they, they lend themselves to digital thinking, so they're like, they're like little pixelated sculptures, so they feel like a computer, but they're also very tangible, and they're connected to several generations now of childhood um so lego has always been able to do both like they look back and they look forward that's hot and (laughs) specific sets the castle set that my own child plays with now in my mother's house that i got for christmas in probably 1980 i bet it was 1985 so i would have been seven or eight so i got the castle set and i did not sleep or eat until it was put together because <laughs> I love those instructions and like being immersed in those instructions and then seeing him play with that again is crazy um, nostalgic yeah I can't say I, I mean I'd love for you to comment on this if this was the case back in the 60s but I know our friend Tassif is very much into Lego he's our age but he spends like a thousand dollars on this stuff like he oh, buys yeah. the insane sets. so when Lego first came out was it like that too or was it like target audience children uh, totally target audience children. Okay. So the the adult Lego Lego user groups known as Alugs, um, which adult adult Lego users are a pretty new phenomenon. Uh-huh. In fact, I would say since the 2010s, that's become a huge thing. Like these Frank Lloyd Wright houses and stuff like that. Where and I have several friends as well. Um, one of my co-authors actually, Nick Taylor, who edited a, bo- a book on Lego. I got to do the introduction. Um, he is a Lego head. Like his his house he does have a child but i i think i think i'm not doing him wrong by saying that his child is his excuse to buy (laughs) lego for himself and he's often bragging about what he's built um so that's a new phenomenon for sure and i do think it's a a nostalgia oriented phenomenon i feel i know juliana collects board games but whenever i play a board game i feel like i am a child again every single time without even if it's like one of those like adult games like even cards against humanity i still feel like holding that in your hands or building that little castle or whatever there's something so tangible about it and i think a lot of nostalgic experiences have some kind of tangible feel to them which is something i've been reflecting on and i think that's really interesting. So how do you think that Legos um, allow for the recreation of that? Is it um, just through the experience of actual building or is it like more of a community thing in general? Whoa, good question. You, you talking just now made me think of a comparable, but I don't, this is just, this is half baked. I haven't, but um, like the meditation, the coloring books for adults <laughs> oh, too, yeah. the coloring books. Yeah comparable to lego because of what you're saying this very visceral physical connection to something you've done for a long time since you were a child um and it's it's a technical process too it's a skill so i sometimes i wonder if toys like lego and when i say toy i don't mean that in a diminishing or diminutive way um we have become homo ludens instead of homo faber homo faber is the maker 
the doer. Homo ludens is the playful um, human. And we have so much, because of media and technology, we have so much free time that we spend a lot more of our time in play. Like, my son will have been playing Zelda since he was five when he plays whatever iteration comes out when he's 45, which I bet there will be because it's like a work of art and literature now. Um, so same thing with Lego. He will, if he's an adult Lego user, he will have, he will have been practicing that skill for maybe longer than any other skill he's been practicing in his life. At one time that might be something like leatherworking or wordworking or carpentry, but we don't live like that anymore. Right. Um, so cooking, but like cooking could be comparable to like if you cooked in the kitchen with your parental figure or your grandfather, um, that kind of feeling. And I do get that feeling from cooking. I get nostalgic feeling like I've done this. This is a repetitive known action. Is it it's from a your technical own experiences skill. or from experiences with others though? Oh, the community question. Yeah. If I cook alone, it connects me to many Aww. nostalgic situations and their community situations. Right. So if I do the thing alone, I'm tapping into a community thing. Okay. Interesting. Um, do you guys have follow-up questions about Legos? I guess it's more or a thought. doesn't have to be a question. No, it is a question. More of a future thing, though. Um, I know you said, like, Zelda there's going to be remakings of it because it's, it's like literature, it's it's art. But how would you, how do you anticipate the future of Lego and will that nostalgia always remain? Mm, good question. I do kind of feel like they might be at a saturation point right now. Mm. Like we are, they, they, it might be a, a controversial hot take because um, they, they had a renaissance around 2008-ish, like, um, and it was very well designed. They weren't going under by any means, but they were selling much less, and then they just re-huge Lego renaissance. And I feel like they're everywhere now, and that maybe it might be a peak where we are a little mm. oversaturated with Lego. But I, do th- I don't think they're going anywhere. I think they're a classic art toy that like will persist forever and probably there'll be reiterations maybe unrelated but do you think the use of technology by growing children has affected the way that children play with toys including lego yes um and and i don't think i i think that like it's a hypothetical think but there's a lot of research that's been done to say that too and lego has tapped in that into that to market as well like their logo right now is remake the world Mm. um it's good marketing and it is pushing an orientation to the world that it is in fact our medium and we can take it apart and put it back together as we wish Mm -hmm. do with that what you will gosh Jay, do you have any follow-up Well, it's interesting. Thoughts? My brother is obsessed with Lego. Like, I swear our entire basement is just Lego. And it's always funny when he brings home, like, new sets and stuff because the changes are crazy. Like, now he's got an app oh, on his tablet, and he mm. can hold up his tablet and, like, I film the Lego, and it starts moving. Like, they've... Yeah, I forget what the the line of it is called, but there's like a specific line that you can make little Lego movies based on what you build. And I think it's just crazy what they've done with it. But I'm also seeing, like you mentioned that castle set, I think that's come back and they've reissued it coming for Christmas. So like they're tapping into the nostalgia too. Like, yeah, no, I, it, Lego's crazy. I'm thinking of in Minneapolis, I actually visited, visited one where you can check out a set for your child. So every time you're like... 
I, I do think critically about Lego. I don't think Lego is good or bad by nature. And there are some, like it's plastic. It's not necessarily sustainable, although they're, they're altering their sustainability practices, et cetera. There's the, the Lego movie that's made a movie and they've enabled Lego movie making with this new medium. But there's the, also the cottage industry classics of like the Star Wars cantina that's stop action um, film on YouTube that's another classic of world literature now, like in my book. Um, so everything, every critical kind of negative thing you can say for Lego, there's a there's another example of like where a community or a cottage um, craft came up through Lego too. So it's very strangely balanced in that way, with, whereas some other technologies I could point at and say evil. <laughs> I have a question that's unrelated, so I'd love for you to note for the listener where they can read more about Legos if, in anything you've written or that book you are referencing as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll plug that book. Um, it was edited by uh, Nick Taylor and Chris Ingram, um, and it's called Legofied, um, capital L-E-G-O-ified in Got it. non-caps. All right, guys, check it out. So next question is a little bit going back to, um, I guess, more your expertise as a professor in PwC um, and about writing. So I was just thinking through here and thinking about our experience writing for the mag, but also in general. Um, I find that writing, especially creative, personal nonfiction, has a lot to do with writing about the past. You know, it's writing about our experiences. And that's fair. You know, I think um, journalism and creative writing offers this amazing amazing opportunity to express your experiences to work through them to heal through them um through your words and I think that's beautiful but I found myself like I was just reflecting on every magazine piece I've ever written and it's always been about something that's happened to me or something in the past or something that I guess has shaped me into who I am but kind of always looking back um and I can think of one example where we're writing into the future and that might be to do with scientific innovation where we think th into the future like this is what we want for the world to make it a better place but how do you think uh writers such as ourselves in writing creative nonfiction can write about the future and this kind of hints at our next magazine theme which i will not reveal in entirety but yes back to my question <laughs> spoiler alert um, what a good question. And I don't, it's so funny. Like, so I was turning to Juliana and I was like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm teaching a course called Writing Human Futures because it's, we're asking that question. That course is on the books. It's Writing 470 in PwC in the ICCIT. A little take plug it. there and take it, please. It's very fun. It's a um, upper level PwC course. It's actually still in progress and process because I am asking that question. Like how, because um, if we, Stick to creative nonfiction, part of the problem with the word nonfiction, right? Like the epistemological problem mm -hmm. of nonfiction is if we're going to say it's not fiction, then it has to have happened. Mm -hmm. Like we have to have it empirically mm -hmm. proven. Um, and we absolutely want to turn those tools, those journalistic tools that are tools of truth towards a future and imagine the future. Um, and I think at least one stab at an answer is combining tools of fiction, um, speculation, tools of imagination, um, turning those tools to grounded, researched, creative nonfiction is a is a tiny answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't I don't think there's anything particularly wrong about writing about your past, but I think 
sometimes when I'm thinking about what I want to write for the mag and for the upcoming mag, it can feel some a little bit kind of debilitating mm-hmm. to realize that the only thing you can talk about is the shit that's happened to you. And it's like, how much can I talk about what's gone wrong in my life and how that shaped me? Like, yes, that has shaped me, of course. And it's made me who I am today. And it's something I'd love to reflect on and to heal through my writing. But it's like, sometimes I I want to have that innovative perspective that I get. Like, for example, I'm a chem major as well. And so when I write about when I write my chem papers, I'm often thinking about how I can innovate a certain technique or a certain analytical tool or a certain field, a certain subfield of chemistry, right? And that's exciting because you get to think about how you can make a difference for a better future. But when you're stuck in the past, Mm -hmm. it's like you're unloading your baggage constantly. And I've read some beautiful stories that unload their baggage that have moved me to tears. But I feel like in my own writing practice, I am looking right now as I look to this next magazine to find a way to write about my future or not my future but the future so give me some tips one of the most important practices like it's a radical political practice to talk about this and do this now um because we need to we need to imagine a future right now um we always have had to imagine a future and i love what you said about chemistry and i wonder if part of what makes it possible to think um, innovatively with chemistry is you have these set tools yeah. and you know what you can do with them. So they're already quote unquote true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually taps into something that I research, which is manipulative models in science. Like the reason I researched Lego is manip- manipulative models in hard scientists, sciences and how we use those tools for inductive reasoning. Mm-hmm. This is all getting to an answer. I wonder if one step might be to talk about what the Lego pieces are that we have to imagine a future. And those Lego pieces might be what the scholar Raymond Williams would call cultural forms. Of course, we can write about a future and talk about technology or chemistry if we want to. But if we're thinking about socially futures, one cultural form is the family, right? And of course, I love my family as is like traditionally thought of as my family. But I have nostalgia for a time when I reformulated my family and extended it to friendships um, and people I lived with and like loved and really depended upon. Um, And then I aged and I professionalized and I have, I have forsaken some of those connections. Like I have not uh, made good on having made that family. And I have nostalgia for that. So this is all really long answer to say, like, example, I want a different formulation for family. I want family to be more capacious and able to be messier and different and look different than the nuclear family. So that's like maybe a goofy example of like taking the Lego pieces of a thing that we think we know what it is and rearranging it in the future. So would you say writing about future comes down to hypothesizing? Hypothesizing is kind of scientific. But the spirit of how you were speaking about it, though, is more like hoping. Mm -hmm. I think we should speculate and we should hypothesize, but we should also like hope. Like, I wish family would start to look like this. What can we do? (laughs) What should I have done when I was 27 to make my family this other version of it? Um, Okay. Yeah everything that you're saying is I feel like it touches home 
you know, that idea of essentially deconstructing this narrative of what a typical family is supposed to look like, a mom and a dad. And I feel like that comes a lot with um, reshaping what's the norm. And I think there's a very important linguistic component to writing or just simply life or, or navigating political systems that has to come from like now. Like we can be nostalgic in the sense of we look back, we, we see our childhood, we see how things were about 50 years ago and we, and we admire the simplicity of it. But we, we can't undermine the fact that, that there is a system in place that wanted to deter people away from being original or from following what their heart actually wants them to. So I think it's just really interesting because if, when we reflect on the past, we can kind of like stop in our tracks and think, what can I do to change the narrative and, and to um, morph it into something that is more inclusive and more beneficial to us. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I'm thinking back to like my writing process for my first assignment in this class. I wrote about robots. I actually talked about when we went to Boston Pizza and, you know, the robot that came and served our food. The scary I robot was terrifying. <laughs> it was scary. I was about to say, were you scared of it? Because I tend terrifying. to have Uncanny Valley. It was yeah. startling because we were, well, I mean, <laughs> we I had, just want pizza. <laughs> well, we had a weird magician at the table first. That terrified us. <laughs> that was scary in its own right. And then, like, afterwards, we're talking and all of a sudden this robot comes, like, rushing up to us. And that's what I wrote about because I was kind of like well when i used to go to boston pizza weird example but before the pandemic you know you never would have expected a little robot with cat ears if i went and looked up a picture it had what? little cat ears this yeah. sounds like a terry gilliam film <laughs> like there was a magician and a robot and it brought me pizza <laughs> it, thinking about it yeah actually it was very strange fun but like you know i never would have expected that and thinking about my experience as a child like going to restaurants I wouldn't have thought of that either. So, like, bringing that forward, if I end up having kids, right, like, what's their experience in a restaurant going to be like? I'm terrified Yeah, or like, future. I'm thinking, you know, like, those Nickelodeon, yeah. like, shows where they have, like, the food come to you on a conveyor belt. The semi-cat like, ones. They do that in those, um, do they? in the sushi restaurants. Sushi places. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that on TikTok? People put their phones and then they go around the conveyor belt. Yeah. Ba- ba- I mean. No, what was scary was I went to the movies the other day for the first time since, like, pre-COVID. And I, you know, there's the tellers at the front, they give you your ticket. But now it's like machines. Like you go and you, and you can buy your popcorn from the machine and you choose your seats. And I'm like, I mean, my magazine piece was about old cameras and, and letters and, and essentially just old methods of communication and love and how that integrated into my family and how I would remember my dad just taking out this huge camera um, and just filming And so, I don't know, I'm kind of scared for the future. Yeah, I think part of the reason why I stay away from writing about the future, even though I want to, is that there's something kind of terrifying about it, because when you write about the future, you're assuming that you're going to be there when the things you write about come true. And I had a friend who... um, I mean, I respect her view, but she, for example, does not want to have children because she's terrified for the world that her children will have to live in. And I don't know how much I agree with this, but she thinks having children in our current climate is a selfish thing to do. And I understand that. I get where she's coming from. Having said that, I do want kids. But also, I reflected on what she told me, and I and I do agree there's something 
terrifying about what's happening with the world. And I don't want this to come off as super pessimistic because I think there's still a lot of beauty and a lot of innovation and hopefully someone will solve climate change and some, hopefully somebody will cure cancer. But the thing is, we don't know these things, right? And so it's kind of, it's kind of scary to either a hypothesize about something that might not even come true and if it doesn't it's like holy crap the amount of people that are going to die from cancer every year is going to just keep rising and rising and rising but b it's like what if i don't make it to the point where these things come true or what if they don't at all what if all the stars align against me and i will never find that community again that family again and i think a lot of the things that are happening in the world are making us realize that some things are not possible. Like women's rights are not possible when you have things like abortion being banned and us going back in time. It's like as much as we want to hope, there's just so much crap happening that's making us stop in our tracks and feel hopeless, honestly. And I know that's like super pessimistic and I, and I, I, and I hate, I, I just don't like talking um, negatively about the world because I feel like I'm alive and I'm well and I'm healthy and so is my mother and so is my family and that's wonderful but at the same time I'm sometimes scared for the future because I just feel like every day we read something in the news or something happens in our lives that just makes us go holy crap I'm never gonna get to where I want to be and neither will the world oof <laughs> yeah I mean I you sound like the inside of my head I feel the same way <laughs> I think that's part of why I actually wanted to make the courses I was like okay and small thing um it's not doing much but I was like okay I could we could in this time in my class time try to imagine a future together um because we should try it and and I don't mean to counteract please do well <laughs> The thing is that uh, I'll go ahead and say that often and perhaps even predominantly think that there's not much to counteract what you just said. Like we should sit with it more, period. <laughs> However, um, going back a little to robots bringing us pizza, like I, I, I do think there's a space to slam your hand on the table and say, I don't want a robot bringing me pizza. And there are labor reasons why I don't want that. I want someone well-paid to make my pizza and a human being um, to, who's to well paid yeah. and can and can pay for their pay for their living quarters in Toronto, for example, to Gosh. bring up other Craziness, horrible yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> apocalyptic visions. But someone someone who's paid a li living wage um, and who's able to be proud of their work, a, a human being to bring me my pizza. And that's a really small bite to take of the future, but actually is worth doing mm -hmm. because the truth is, <laughs> I hope the truth is, we can choose some of these things. Mm -hmm. Like we can say stop with the robot pizza bringers like <laughs> recently on twitter somebody was asking if ais are doing um uh sorry reading audiobooks like they're mm -hmm. the ai has good enough voice stuff now like they've sampled the human voices enough that they can get not actors to do that and somebody was like should i do this should i get my book read and i, I answered like no make them pay a human being yeah. like write a grant to pay an actor to do that and then also write a thing that says why you did that mm -hmm. like opt not to use yeah. the robot opt not to use the robot that should go on a t-shirt <laughs> um that's like the resistance <laughs> activist answer but it's a like it does not the don't let the robot bring you pizza answer it does not there is no answer to the mm -hmm. weighty thing you just said speaking of ai um aiden and i listened to this podcast called uh plain english and there was an episode recently on ai very interesting episode so i'm gonna ask you this question when you think of ai what do you what kind of industry do you think the next generation of ai meaning in the next five years even two to five years is going to replace like what job 
So this is interesting and kind of ties into the paper I'm handing into you tonight, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but I work at a marketing firm and one day my boss was like, hey, here's this tool. It's called Jasper. And he asked me to like sign on and learn what it was. And basically, so I go into this thing and I type two to three sentences and click form. And all of a sudden, Jasper spits out like two paragraphs more based on the writing that I gave it. And that is terrifying. Okay. It's not good. It's not good writing. He, um, I think the, <laughs> He sucks. There, yeah. There's the there's the thing to keep up keep yeah. in yeah. mind is it's not like, good. I think the problem with Jasper is that I think the last time it scanned the internet was like twenty nineteen. <laughs> so it doesn't know COVID exists and I was writing about It hasn't heard midnight. <laughs> <laughs> um I was writing about um nursing programs for like a school that we market about. Oh my god. And I was talking about like, you know, um now that we've dealt with COVID-19, you know, like our need for nurses is even higher than it was before. And I clicked like submit and it went, yes. And with the impending Ebola pandemic and it like <laughs> came up with this thing and I'm like, please, no, actually no Ebola. But like, okay. So when I went into this episode, I was thinking two things. The next big AI move is going to be self-driving cars. Yeah. I'm flipping someone off. And, um, <laughs> Amazon, like warehouse packaging, all that stuff. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. So the reason it's not self-driving cars is because there will never, there will always be a 1% chance of death with a self-driving car. And until we can address that 1%, there will be no self-driving cars. Amazon. Nope. Too big. Can't handle that. So where's AI going in the next one to five years? (laughs) Journalism. So what they're hypothesizing, and I think this is so, it's going to create so many blind spots, is that everybody on their phone is going to have a specific kind of for you news page where articles are going to be self-written by AI based on tweets, based on little snippets of information that they gather from broadcasts or from people that are uh, managing these databases that is for everybody to use. And then these news articles will be written to each individual's preferences, which means that, okay, yes, I might be right now, I want to be educated on the Russo-Ukrainian war. But if there's an outbreak somewhere, I'm not going to hear about it because I never subscribed to that. So this is like the first red flag right there. But pretty much, guys, we're no longer needed. They don't need us anymore. Um, Everything is actual writers, you mean? (laughs) Yes, not us specifically. But yeah, so it's just the creative fields are being replaced by AI, which is terrifying. I, I would hesitate to say replaced. Okay, not replaced. They're being radically changed. Yes. Anyways, what are, what are your thoughts on this? I would hesitate. I am actually a little anti-panic about the writing AI okay. right now. So it's not good. Mm-mm. I'm on your side. Like, it's not good. And one thing I would say to you as a... It's, a, it's not a given that it takes over journalism, and it, but it means that people like us should become activist journalists quickly, like yeah. start to plug into not just the practice of your profession, which is the writing, but tune into politi- political conversations in your pr- profession and um, advocate for your profession. But also there was a time when blogging was the end of journalism, right? And blogging became the new journalism. So I don't think journalists are going anywhere in the next five years, I do think journalists are going to have to work really hard to make sure that journalism maintains its truth-oriented yeah. function. Because in, yeah. in. I think that's what it's trying to address. They're saying, okay, if these robots are 
are presenting us our stories that gets rid of bias, right? right. Because there isn't a writer's voice behind it. Yes. But then it's like, I feel like what they're trying to address isn't really addressed. Yes. Yeah. Right. Ex- so true. Also, the other scary, scary thing about it is that the other major function of AI and job for AI has been and will continue to be surveillance and control. Mm-hmm. And all the language we feed AI helps it mm-hmm. surveil and control us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's like plugging into a loop that you can't get out of. Yeah. Um, but TikTok and, and Instagram has shown us that this idea of the for you is huge and that we want to be fed the content that AI, I guess, thinks that we are interested in. But I think in that sense, even on TikTok, as stupid of an example as that is, there's so many blind spots for me because someone that might be on a TikTok for you that talks a lot about social issues, I'm never going to see those videos, even though they might serve me some good in my life because I do want to know about those issues. But because the algorithm has decided that I'm only interested in cats, small animals, and gym talk, I'm never going to see that. It's one thing if it's a good pair of shoes. Like, I'm I'm happy that it knows exactly what shoes I want. (laughs) But But it's like I'm missing out. Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to miss out on it. (laughs) Uh, You know, when when you said that journalism was going to get, not replaced, but, you know, changed, I actually thought you were going to say caretakers. Like, I I thought you were going to say that there were going to be robot nurses and that there were going to be people that's terrifying yeah like like robots and like gerontology fields because like there aren't enough caretakers in that field anyway so i just assume that but that's where why we don't have self-driving cars because it's it's human life it's a little bit more serious would a robot kill an older adult well imagine <laughs> if they're doing an injection or something and they put terrifying. something wrong i just think robots are scary i think phones are scary i don't even know how to use my laptop going back to boston pizza <laughs> So the next day... I feel like day. this might need to be a piece, like a whole <laughs> Literally. thing. Like, let's take all the aspects of this and of this just one blow them out. two-hour yeah. dinner. The next day, Juliana got... You know how oh, Instagram yeah. has, like, recommended? The magician was in her recommended. It was so weird. Was oh, so wow. Weird. So that person has geolocated themselves. And He's the, scary. Like, and then, like, I them. guess my phone heard him say his name or something. And then the next day, it was like, go follow this guy. And I showed Liz... And I was like, it listened to us. Cut the camera. It was at different, like, dinner with us. Can so I just freaky. say that when we were at dinner, he just showed, like, he just came to the table and then barfed up the cards. <laughs> we thought he was, like, puking on the I table. I got so yeah, scared. Was I was so like, scary. does he want us to pay him right now? Because I will not pay this man. <laughs> it was, it terrifying. was terrifying. And then he wrote Aiden's name on, like, a card. And it was just, it was, and then the robot came and saved us. I won't lie. Maybe because <laughs> he left right after the robot. <laughs> This is a short film <laughs> to be made, I think. But yeah. Um, Sounds scary. Any other thoughts before we close off? Anything else you'd like to add? Nostalgia. <laughs> uh, take. <laughs> I'm already nostalgic for the beginning of this conversation because it was such a good one and we can't, I'd go back through it again. Um, take, take your nostalgia in small doses. Super useful nostalgia. Also, potentially dangerous dangerous nostalgia um yeah is that that's such a beautiful way to end off i think so oh my heart but yeah so again pick up a copy of out with the old on stands all around utm or pop by the office if you know they're going fast and there's none left hope you came to our party oh yeah and we hope we saw you at the party which was 
last week. Um, like last week when this gets published. Um, thank you so much, Professor Madalena, for joining us. It's Thanks been, so much for having me. God, it's been such a pleasure to talk about nostalgia and Lego and, and crazy robots at Boston Pizza. Um, anyways, we're going to end off here. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Um, thank you.